Morning, church. Please be seated. It's really great to be back with you. My name is Ross Lockhart, and uh, really grateful that Alistair invited me to return and to preach uh, in this wonderful series that you're going through in this in the season of Advent. Uh, really excited to be with you uh, today. Wonderful to hear the uh, announcement about Jacob's Well. I was actually down at Jacob's Well on Wednesday night and. Uh, meeting with Aaron White, who's their resident theologian. And I said, so, so who's on tonight to, to cook uh, and to share time and, and space? And he said, oh, people from St. Peter's Fireside. I said, well, I know a St. Peter's Fireside. And may I just say, I think St. Peter's Fireside makes the best grilled cheese sandwiches I've ever had. So well done, Carisdale small group. That was outstanding. Um, what a treat to have this text before us today uh, and to be able to um, round out the Advent sermon series. And so when uh, Alistair gave me the text, I had a chance to kind of wrestle uh, with it, to sit with it, to pray over it, to take it with me around this week. And I've prepared a message that I'm entitling Arrivals and Departures. Now, in order to prepare for today, I ended up um, listening to all of the uh, previous sermons that Alistair preached in the sermon series. Um, one of my kind of geeky professor things is I love listening to sermons while I do administration. Uh, and so I was listening to the, to the sermons, which are always terrific here at St. Peter's Fireside. Uh, there were some amazing images. I don't know already in this series uh, which a sermon has spoken most clearly to you. Um, the image of a toddler Alistair in a diaper with a bottle hanging out of his mouth and a kitchen knife wandering the streets of Victoria that's a hard one to beat. And so I think for me, uh, even in the sermon I'm preaching today, that will be the dominant image that I'm taking home. So as I'm uh, working away at my desk at St. Andrew's Hall, which is the, the Presbyterian College at UBC, we have 130 bed residents there. Uh, and as I was working away all week, I could hear, I could hear just um, uh, every day coming down the hallway, the sound of roller bags that were coming along. And as an extrovert, I have this um, need to, to hop up and talk to people. And so I would often jump up from my desk and I would uh, kind of uh, look out and see who was there and I would greet them and I would say, going home for Christmas? Because the wing that the uh, faculty offices are in, I'm gonna move my mic here, friends. I think I'm getting a little, uh, Rob's always good to me. He's gonna take care of my technology woes, good man. Uh, and so uh, where the faculty offices are is uh, the quad section. So they're all undergrads. And as you can imagine, most of them go home, right? And so it'd have a nice little chat. Sometimes there was uh, the minivan, the parents' minivan, downstairs in the parking lot waiting for them. But for many of them, they were on their way out via Canada Line uh, to YVR. And I already know, because I've talked to some here uh, at St. Pete's, some of you will be making your way out to YVR this week uh, on your way home for the holidays. Um, I'll be going with my family to Manitoba. And uh, the thought of actually just um, going out to the airport uh, is, is just terrifying to me during the week of Christmas. This is the busiest week for YVR, right? And so there's the sense in which uh, how do you navigate uh, all those crowds, the COVID protocols, um, you know, the kind of uh, unfriendly security people, the overpriced sandwiches you have to buy, and then you wait in that uh, departure lounge that 
Uh, we don't believe in the doctrine of purgatory, but if we did, that's what it would be like, right? It's hot, it's stuffy, you know you're going somewhere, but you don't know when. It's kind of that experience. And then the inevitable flight delays. It's supposed to snow on Christmas Eve, by the way. Blessings to all of us who are flying on Christmas Eve, right? There's a sense in which departures are hard, but there's something that steadies us through them because of the promise of arrival. Amen? Like, I can already picture on Christmas Eve in Winnipeg, you may say, why would you go to Winnipeg on Christmas Eve? It's lovely. Trust me, it's cold. Standing at the, the top of the escalator, looking down into a sea of faces, some of whom likely will be my family, and that sense of being welcomed. It's like if you've already watched Love Actually this Christmas, right? You know that scene. You know what I'm talking about if you don't watch the movie, right? It's that sea of faces welcoming you, all of that love, which you don't see in a departure area. You see tears sometimes, but you don't see the joy. Farewells are hard. Departure is hard. But there's the promise of arrival. I had a Zoom call this week with a colleague of mine who I love very much, just across the border in Washington State, for 15 years, he's been an executive in his denomination in that region, uh, and he's done amazing things. He has um, started and supported church plants within his um, denomination in that region, uh, inspired leaders, held conferences, uh, just a really dynamic guy. And uh, he told me last week he's been promoted to the national office, and so he's moving in the States. So I had a Zoom call to thank him for all the work we've done together, to say how much I would miss him, to hear about his new position. But then I also asked him, I said, okay, so you're leaving. What, what are you doing to set things in place, right, for the next person who comes along? And he paused, and he started rattling off a few things for his successor, whoever that might be. I said, yeah, yeah, but what about all the pastors and the congregations under your care that you've done such a great job with? And he laughed and he said, well, Ross, he said, I, I'm, I'm going, but in many ways, I've been preparing them for this farewell for a long time. We are supposed to equip the saints for ministry. He said, if I haven't done that by now, I don't know what I've been doing over these last 15 years. I went off the Zoom call and I opened scripture to look at the passage that Alistair had asked me to preach on. I thought, isn't that true? In some ways, this whole sermon series throughout Advent has been about hearing Jesus prepare his disciples for when he would no longer be with them in person. Now, Bible scholars refer to kind of John 14 and on as the farewell discourse, just where we get the title of the sermon series from, right? Farewell. And week by week, you've been looking at texts and wrestling with all the ways that Jesus has tried to make clear to his disciples his graduate school students, right? They've been with him for three years. You think they would get it by now. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I kind of like the mansions one myself, but maybe it's just a North Shore preference. Okay, so uh, there's this promise that's given, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's the, the intimacy, the passages around vines and branches I love in this section. Jesus could not be more clear about the reality of persecution that will befall his followers in the years and centuries to come, right? And then we get to this point just before the reading today where I almost feel it's like Jesus is saying, right, okay, we're here, we're done, any questions? 
and 12 hands shoot up, right? Like, can you imagine the disappointment for Jesus? Like, he has been pouring into his Talmudin, his disciples, for three years, and he's just gone through this beautiful John 14, 15 into 16, and they still don't seem to get it. I mean, as a, as a professor, it's a little bit like this time of year. I do field multiple emails asking me about the final paper. And I know Richard probably does here as well. And you know, here's a secret. It's on the syllabus. It really is. Almost 99% of the questions are answered by the syllabus. But you may have seen on CBC this week, there is a music professor in Tennessee. Did you see this, right? And like buried deep in a multi-page uh, syllabus, there was a code and a location to a locker on campus, and if you opened it, you got 50 bucks. And at the end of term he went, pressed in the code, there was the $50. No one had read down far enough in the syllabus to claim the prize, right? I, that's kind of how Jesus must be feeling here, really. And then we get to the text, and I just love, love, love what it says. So if, if your Bible app is still humming, you can have a look with me here, right? And so uh, <laughs> I just love this in verse 25 where we start. I have said these things, what things? Well, everything that Alistair has been covering over the last three weeks, right? Jesus must be exhausted with all this teaching. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. When you kind of break it down and look at what that means um, in the ancient languages, it could mean anything from parable, proverb, riddle, kind of a teaching device. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. Okay, Jesus, now it's time for plain speak, right? And he has this beautiful section that follows here about how saying you don't even have to, to come to the Father through my name because the Father knows you and loves you. Of course we pray in Jesus' name. It's what we still do in 2021. But he's trying to say like, look, this is the kind of relationship did no one hear me about vine and branches? You know, he must just be so frustrated here. And then he gets to verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world again. I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. Arrivals, departures. I was reading one Bible scholar this week who said, this is actually the best summary of all of John's gospel. Let me read it for you again. Um, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. Arrivals and departures. I mean, I was always thinking John 3.16 was like the key verse, right? So uh, I'm kind of thinking now at Vancouver Canadians games, I'm going to hold up a sign that says John 16, right? 28 uh, behind home plate and see if anyone notices. This is a, a critical, critical verse. And then we have this sense in which um, Jesus has just laid out this kind of beautiful feast for them, and then he turns to them, and, and they still don't really seem to get it. Oh, they think they get it, right? You have here his disciples said, yes, now you are speaking plainly. Thank, thank you, Jesus, finally, not in figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have one question, anyone question you. By this we believe that you came from God. But Jesus knows that they don't actually like really get what he's saying here. If they understood that the ministry of Jesus, his arrival and his departure will mean that for the rest of human history, people will know that a crucified Jew rules the cosmos, 
they don't get it, right? And, and it's actually not just about Jesus' arrival and departure, but what it means for his disciples that's key. Now, as a Presbyterian, it's kind of an odd habit. You as Anglicans don't have to worry about this, but I always read John Calvin's commentaries on any uh, passage that I'm reading. I even have an ugly uh, uh, John Calvin Christmas sweater that I wear this time of year. Um, I encourage you to uh, pick one up for yourself. And I, I was reading Calvin's comments on this passage, and it's such an interesting observation. Uh, he says this, Our faith in Jesus would not be firm if it did not grasp his divine power. It's kind of what the disciples are missing here when they say, oh, thanks, Jesus, for speaking plainly. Now we get it. Calvin says, for his death and resurrection, the two pillars of our faith, would help us little if heavenly power were not joined with them. We now understand in what way we should embrace Christ in such a way that our faith shall consider God's purpose and power by whose hand he is offered to us for you must not receive coldly the fact that he came out of God, but must also understand for what reason and purpose he came out. Then wait for it, he says, that Jesus might be to us wisdom and sanctification and righteousness and redemption. In other words, this means something concrete. He's speaking plainly because he wants them to know and to understand that Jesus' arrival and departure schedule means something concrete for them, for us, for the entire world. Jesus already has his face set towards heaven, returning to the Father. But as he has started this farewell discourse, he says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And if I go to that place, I will come and I will take you there. These are beautiful words, but they're just not registering. So Jesus takes one last crack at it. This amazing final passage that we have before us today. I love verse 33 so, so much. Now, before 33, he gives this little warning, right? Um, Do you now believe the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to his home, and you will leave me alone? Caveat, he says, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So kind of setting the stage, and then he rolls into this final piece. I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Now, I was sitting with this text this week in my office, and I was thinking the order feels kind of wrong. Like, shouldn't have Jesus said to his disciples, look, first of all, you need to know I've taken care of everything. Don't worry, I've conquered the world, okay? So you should be like a good heart. You should be courageous. Look, you're going to have a little bit of trouble, but chill out, peace, it's all good. But the order here, I think, is important, and it's fascinating. So first he promises peace, shalom, wholeness, healing to his disciples that he is about to leave behind. Then he speaks very clearly about the trouble they will face. Then he talks about the courage that is required, not of their own accord. So often we default to human agency. This is about divine agency. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of have more courage talk. This is about the courage that Jesus will give them. Why? Because he promises to be with them. And then in the end, 
to know that Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death. Everything is provisional in this time that is threatening us. Friends, in this final verse, which is such a key verse, not that I would disagree with the Bible scholar that verse 28 is important as well, but this sense in which what we have is is we have Jesus' power being displayed here, the power. That's the peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So there's power. Then there's presence, right? There's the sense in which it's Jesus' courage that he gives to us. And then there's promise as well, that in the end, he has overcome, he has conquered the world. This continues to live out, and we know how he has conquered the world, amen? He has conquered the world through the cross, through his death and his resurrection, that he's trying so hard to prepare his disciples to understand. That's how he has conquered the world. And the cross of Christ for us today continues to give us the promise, the presence, and the power that Jesus promised his disciples here in this passage. You know, we see that taking place in your life and in mine. I was reminded of the power of the presence of Jesus Christ through the cross um, when I was young growing up. And I remember there was a family in my home church in Winnipeg and uh, elderly parents and their firstborn daughter was um, developmentally delayed and continued to live at home with her aging parents. And uh, the younger daughter was a contemporary of my parents and would be over for meals and that kind of thing. She was a professional woman, out on her own, had her own apartment, that kind of thing. And as her parents reached that age and stage where they had to go into a care home, the dilemma that was facing the family is what to do with the older sister. Now, I knew the older sister really well. She was in church every Sunday, would be greeting. She would often light the Christ candle. She also would come up for children's time most weeks. So I knew her almost as a peer, as a child growing up. And this was a heartbreaking dilemma. I remember hearing my parents talk about what would happen And the younger sister said, I just, you know, I I would love to have her in my apartment, but I work and it's just not feasible. She has to go into some sort of group home. And even as a child, I could hear this younger sister's heart just breaking in trying to care for aging parents and then trying to care for this older sister who she always knew in some way would be her responsibility. A couple weeks later, I heard them in conversation again, but it was a joy-filled conversation as she was recounting what happened when she dropped her sister for the first time off at the group home. Uh, Pulled up in front of the group home for those who had developmentally delayed, and uh, her older sister refused to get out of the car. She had her suitcase on her lap, and she would not leave the car. So the younger sister didn't know what to do, and she went up, and she got the executive director and the chaplain because it was a Mennonite group home. Remember, it's Winnipeg. Everyone's Mennonite in Winnipeg, right? Amen. And so the two of them come out and like in a very professional, experienced way, have a delightful conversation with the older sister and negotiate at least that she would get out of the car and go up the steps. And the chaplain said, "Uh, would you like to meet some of the other residents? They were in kind of the living room with the TV going, nope, not at all. Didn't want to meet anyone else. And she just stood in the front hallway, her coat still on. 
And the chaplain said, oh, okay, um, are you hungry? We could get you a snack. No. Uh, would you like to see your, your room where you'll be? Well, she was curious about that. And so the chaplain led her up the stairs to the second floor where all the individual bedrooms were. And the younger sister was trailing behind, streaming tears, just feeling like it was awful. She didn't know, you know how this was going to ever work. And the older sister went into her new future bedroom. She walked in and stood, and everyone else stood back outside her room. And then she set down her suitcase, and she flipped it open and started taking out her various items. She took off her coat as if she had forgotten about everyone else watching her behind. Eventually, she turned around, and she saw her younger sister, and she said, oh, you're still here. Yeah, I'm still here. She said, well, you can go home. I'll be fine now. The younger sister was puzzled. She was confused. She didn't feel like it was right that she should leave her. And then the older sister said, no, really, I'm okay. Look, Jesus is here, pointing to the cross on the wall. Now, how did she know the peace in the presence, in the power of Jesus. Because that older sister, Sunday by Sunday, in hugging people at the front door, and hearing the gospel preached, and receiving communion, somehow Jesus Christ had made clear to her that in the midst of the trouble of the world, his peace, his courage would be provided, and the promise is true, that he has overcome the world. Friends, I don't know what you're facing this Christmas. It's another difficult Christmas of pandemic. People have lost loved ones. People have lost employment. Some of us are struggling just to hold on to hope for the year to come. But this passage is before us because God is making clear and plain to us that in Jesus Christ, we have his power we have his presence, and we have his promise for you and for me today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.